0: This little light of mine, welcome to This Little Light of Mine, the podcast where we stand up for love and prioritize mental health, emotional health, and spiritual health in your life and in the lives of all people. Here's your host, James Powell. Hello and welcome to This Little Light of Mine. My name is James Powell and I'm so glad that you're able to join me for today's story episode entitled In Treatment. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to wish you a happy 2022 and ask, how was your holiday New Year break? Did you have an opportunity to create and try on any new activities or experiences that welcomed a personal sense of safety and joy into your life? The holidays were a roller coaster on my end. Here in Toronto, COVID numbers exponentially spiked right before the holiday. And like most individuals, I went into a state of high alert My feeling of being almost invincible with my triple vax status was instantly quashed as I learned that close friends who were also triple vaxed had just tested positive. In a single day, I went from being excited about the upcoming holiday celebrations to becoming full of fear that I'd test positive and have to cancel the Christmas Eve dinner that David and I had planned with my parents. If I learned anything from this experience, it's the reminder that I'm not in control. And that part of life is experiencing disappointment. David and I had to cancel a number of friend activities to make sure that we limited exposure before celebrating with our families. Thankfully, we were able to get our hands on some rapid tests, and in the end, we were able to celebrate with my parents, followed by a relaxing week of doing next to nothing with a few close friends at a cottage just north of the city. As I reflect on the topic of surrender, I'm reminded how much control I had to give over during my time in rehab two years earlier. In today's episode, and in the next few story episodes, I'm going to walk you through some of the many experiences that I had during my stay in rehab. Looking back, I can now describe my time in treatment as the most difficult, most exposed, and most rewarding time in my life. And with that... Let's jump in to today's story episode. I feel like an alien who has just crash-landed into a completely foreign galaxy. It's my first full day in rehab, and my first full day spending time with the other six men who are also in treatment with me. I sit silently in a creaky old chair that surrounds a large rectangular wooden table as I eat my hot breakfast. I would soon come to understand that this large table would serve as my main dining space, workspace, and community gathering space for the next 30-plus days. Looking around the table at these strangers quietly eating their breakfast, while furiously writing notes in their binder, I wonder how I might find anything in common with any of these obviously heterosexual men. So much of my life has been about hustling for approval, competing, performing, and pleasing. And yet here, here in rehab, I can already tell that none of these strategies are going to help. I open up the binder that I started to put together during my intake sessions and flip to the what to expect in treatment page so that I'm not the only one person sitting at the table doing nothing but eating. I read Everyone's experience here is unique. But there are some things that you can expect to happen during your time. You have already completed the lengthy intake process, settled into your room, and hopefully met your new community. The first few days may feel overwhelming with the new rules, new environment, and new faces. Everyone in your community has already experienced this process and can empathize with how you may feel, so consider them a resource during this period of transition. Here's what you can expect to happen from this point forward. While I read through my binder, I try to pay attention to the words, but I'm also dragged into the dialogue going on inside of my head. Who are these men? Will they like me? What do I have to offer in a space like this? I'm different from all of them. There's no way that I'll feel safe opening up about my life with these straight men. Their problems and issues aren't going to be anything like mine. We are so different. Why didn't I do more research and specifically search out a program that catered exclusively to gay men? Realizing that I'm not paying attention to my reading, I try my best to focus back on the words in my binder. You will have regular meetings with your individual therapist and first-step counselor. You can expect to meet with your individual therapist for at least one hour every week, but please feel free to talk to any staff or therapist at any point during the week. You are also assigned a family therapist who will meet with you to review your family history and current family dynamics. They will work with you on who to invite into family sessions. You will work with your First Step counselor to better understand the 12 steps especially the first step, and related concepts of recovery, sobriety, and relapse prevention. You will have at least two meetings with your first step counselor. You will attend 12-step meetings, six days per week. You will complete a Sexual Dependency Inventory, or SDI, which will help you and your therapists better understand your acting out, addiction history, trauma, and other areas of concern. You are asked to write and present your life history in an addiction and trauma group within the first seven to 10 days of your stay. This will be your first major assignment and your official introduction into the community. Your story is important for the community to hear. As I try to remain focused on the words in front of me, instead of the voices in my head, the bus driver for the day screams out, 10 minutes before good morning group starts. Yesterday, during my intake, I was informed that every day, one of the men in treatment assumes the role of what's called the bus driver. The bus driver is responsible for running the daily good morning and good night groups, keeping the house on time for all daily therapy sessions and group outings, preparing for and chairing in-house 12-step meetings, updating the house assignment board, and giving constructive feedback about any broken house rules. How in the world do they expect me to be the bus driver by the end of the week? There is no way that I'm going to fit in here. I'll never be able to lead this group of guys. Even though everything around me is new, I'm surrounded by a very familiar and ever-present fear of impending doom that has haunted me and kept me company for most of my life. This fearful part of me is constantly whispering in my ear. Something's about to go wrong. What are you doing to protect yourself while you're here? You're never gonna be able to figure this out. Don't let your guard down. The other shoe is about to drop. Never, ever trust anyone. These people aren't safe. And as I try to quiet that voice, from my spot at the table, I have a clear view of a blackboard that houses a large grid of our rehab assignments. This grid tracks the individual progress of every man in treatment across the month of their stay. The bus driver has done his job and my name has been added to the grid. I can immediately see that I'm in last place with zero assignments, projects, or milestones completed. Slowly I read over the tasks and assignments in front of me. Life history assignment. Discuss SDI results with therapist. Discuss post-traumatic stress index with therapist. OCD profile? Victims list? Statement of responsibility. List of rationalizations. Letters of atonement? PCI? Empathy letter. Grief and Loss Assignment, offender Cycle, Relapse Prevention Plan, and finally, Graduation Presentation. As I sit silently and try not to let my anxiety show, I tune back into the dialogue of torment that is growing louder inside of my head. Everyone else in the house is way out in front of me. There is absolutely no way for me to catch up or win. All of the other guys have been here for weeks. They've all bonded, and I can tell they don't want to have to deal with any of my gay sob story. What a stupid way to design a program. Why would they design a program with a rolling admission? They should start all of us at the same point, so that we can all go through these steps together. Here I am again, the outsider who has to go it alone. As I listen to the conversation going on inside my head, I remember a worksheet on dissociation that I was tasked to complete during my intake session. I found the about dissociating worksheet curious, but I didn't really think it applied to me, since I wasn't a trauma survivor. But for some reason, this worksheet was top of mind right now. From what I could recall, the worksheet explained that when children experience the world as unsafe, They do many different things to adapt, cope, and survive. It went on to explain that one of the more common ways that children deal with the unbearable experience of being severely abused is to flee from the experience by dissociating. Dissociation in its milder form means that somebody lives exclusively on a mental level, which means they live in their thoughts, and that they aren't fully present. Dissociation in its more extreme forms has individuals feeling like they are literally leaving their body. And since children cannot physically run away, instead, they leave their bodies. The worksheet described the dissociative experience of some survivors as a sensation of floating above themselves, looking down at their body from the ceiling. Other survivors talk about going somewhere where they can't even identify, Some survivors consciously choose to dissociate, but sometimes dissociating happens spontaneously when you don't want it to. Part of me recalled this worksheet, while other parts of me observed my anxious thoughts of overwhelm. As these thoughts happened almost simultaneously, I start to wonder, maybe I do dissociate, but doesn't everyone go inside when they're scared? and just pretend like nothing is going wrong? Isn't that what fake it until you make it means? The rest of the guys start to pack up their belongings, and Steve comes over to ask if I filled out my good morning group sheet. He must have seen the panic in my eyes because he didn't wait for me to reply before he took an empty group template out of his own binder and handed it over to me. He explained that we fill out these sheets every morning and every night and use these sheets during our group sharing time. He also helped me to flip to the page of my binder that shared some of the expected skills or rules of engagement when sharing with the group. I quickly started to read those over. Number one, be here. Stick with the present as much as possible. Stay in the boundaries of the here and now by describing present experiences. Number two, be aware of feelings. Try to express them. Because we're used to stuffing our feelings, give special attention to how you feel and use feeling statements like, I feel sad or I feel afraid. Number three, use I statements. Rather than using we or you, speak for yourself. Example, I feel comfortable. Number four. Speak directly to another person. Instead of saying, Mary seems angry, speak to Mary. For example, Mary, you seem angry to me. Or, I imagine you're angry right now. Five. Speak freely and openly. People do not need to ask permission to speak, intervene, or contribute in any fashion. However, please note, It's easier if only one person speaks at a time. Number six, any person may pass. If someone is uncomfortable with an activity or question, they have the right to say, I pass. Seven, avoid questions. Before asking a question or answering one, consider the statement behind your question and try to express the direct statement. For example, instead of asking, why are you looking at me, try, I'm not comfortable when you look at me like that. 8. Avoid why. Why leads to analyzing, mind tripping, and often leads one away from the full experience in the present moment. 9. Avoid judgments. Be descriptive. Describe the other person's behavior and your response to their behaviors. In this way, you do not accuse someone else and you're responsible for your own reactions. For example, instead of saying, you're really off base, try something like, when you ramble on, I lose a sense of where you're going and I start to feel anxious. 10. Confidentiality. What happens in the group? stays in the group. This refers to all personal sharing, names, occupations, or group interactions. Number 11. Leveling. Leveling is stating what you experience of yourself and others. Leveling is being honest with yourself and with the group. Leveling is a risk-taking behavior about information that you consider a key factor in your behavior or in the group. Instead of feeling angry at someone in the group for several nights and avoiding them, try saying something like, John, on Tuesday night you said, give example, and I've been angry since that time and wanted to avoid you. Avoidance is an old pattern of mine and I'm working on it. And finally, number 12, confrontation confrontation is a non-abusive process of letting others know how you're experiencing reality expressing your feelings and asking for what you need a simple confrontation model is three statements and one request the first statement when i hear you say then you give your basic facts the second what i make up is you share your thoughts and the third About that I feel, use a feeling word, and then your request. In the future, I would like, and then when you give your request, be as specific as possible. As I read this list of 12 straightforward rules, something inside of me shifts and almost jumps with excitement. Where has this single piece of paper been for my entire life? Using these skills would dramatically change how we, oh, sorry, how I show up and interact in relationships, with my family, at work, and with friends. Why are these rules not shared with every single human before every single relational interaction? These skills would dramatically improve how we connect and relate with each other. Could this be what was printed on the flip side of the tablets containing the Ten Commandments? Why did we never turn those over? Before I could continue mind-tripping with my why-based questions and analyzing the power of using these skills, the bus driver yells, good morning group, it's starting in one minute. I clear my plate from the table, walk over to the main group therapy room and sit down in one of the empty chairs The bus driver starts the meeting, and I quickly start to scribble in my own answers to the good morning group template as the other men start to share. Good morning. My name is James. My addictions are sex, love, and drugs. My bottom lines are drugs, cruising, anonymous sex, and hookup apps. Affirmations I am worthy. I am strong. I am lovable. Feelings. Physically, I'm feeling okay. Emotionally, I'm feeling good. Spiritually, I'm feeling fine. My highlights of the day? Meeting the others in the house yesterday, a smooth intake process, brief call with my parents during the intake process, and the Oreo ice cream bars that I found in the freezer. Contracts broken? None. Desire to leave program? No. Desire to hurt myself? No. Lapses? None. Other? None. Optional 30 second share. Thank you for being so welcoming and showing me the ropes yesterday. I was thankful to get all of my sections filled in before it was my time to share. As I read off my form, I could feel the eyes of all the other men zeroing in on me. Their presence was intense, and I couldn't really tell if that made me feel comfortable or uncomfortable. I finished reading off my sheet and was happy to be done and was looking forward to shifting the focus off me and onto the man sitting next to me. But before I had a chance to take a sigh of relief, the bus driver for the day spoke up. Thanks for sharing, James. Good job with your first Good Morning group share. Are you open to some feedback? Um, sure, of of course. I noticed that you were writing while the others were sharing. What I make up about this is that you didn't prepare things in advance. This makes me feel discouraged and insignificant. In the future, I'd like to request that you prep in advance so that you can be present for all of our shares. Whoa. I'm so sorry, you're right. I won't ever do that again. He looked at me and replied, don't worry about that, bud. It's not about scolding. We're just trying to be as present to everyone in the group. And I wanted to check in to see if you were aware of how you were showing up. I started to panic, but before I could escape back into my head, one of the other guys spoke up. I also have some feedback from your share. When you were talking about your feelings, I noticed that you didn't share any actual feelings. You mentioned feeling okay, good, and fine. I also had trouble identifying my feelings when I first arrived. I used this feelings wheel to help me identify what's actually going on inside of my body. Maybe it would help you too. As he handed over his worksheet, I didn't really understand what was going on. Parts of me felt shamed for screwing up such a simple assignment. But other parts of me felt almost safe and comforted by the help and the feedback that the others in the house were offering me. As I looked down at the feeling wheel, I could see my actual feelings. I feel physically overwhelmed. I feel emotionally inferior. I feel spiritually distant. This was only my first day, I hadn't even met any of my therapists, but I could already tell that this type of treatment was going to be wildly uncomfortable and life-altering. So much in our culture teaches us that strength comes from being independent, being in control in all situations, and to drive forward from a place of certainty. And for most of my life, I desperately tried to give off the outer experience that I was independent, in control, and certain in all of my decisions. But being in treatment, that started to pull the wool back from my own eyes. From day one, I started to see that none of these things were true for me. Instead of accepting my own need for help and connection, admitting and sharing how out of control I really was, and realizing how uncertain almost everything is in life, and realizing how uncertain almost everything in life actually is, I was doing the opposite. I was faking it. And that approach, it hurt me. It hurt others around me. And it nearly cost me my life. What have you been taught about strength? How do you define what a strong person looks like? Surrender is a strange concept, and one that I continue to wrestle with every day. We've all heard and said phrases like, let go and let God. We recite the serenity prayer, and we pray, thy will be done, when we say the Lord's Prayer. And if you're like me, you may say the words, but do you actually know what it's like to surrender? I didn't. And looking back, I can see how many of my addictive behaviors and anxiety-producing thoughts were because I was not surrendering. Even today, much of my fear-based thinking comes from a false belief that I'm in control. There continue to be times where I dissociate and go somewhere inside as I try to numb or run from the feeling that I have to handle everything in life, all by myself. What are some of the areas in your life that you constantly run from? What are some of the feelings that you don't ever want to feel? Are you like me? Do you even know how to feel? Do you know how to share what you're feeling? These are some of the many questions that I learned how to start to answer during my time in treatment. I also learned that when we don't listen to the messages from our body, a.k.a. when we ignore those feelings, that our bodies need to scream in order to get our attention. And that ain't pretty. And I'm going to challenge you right now to take a 15-second pause. If you can, plant your feet on the ground, take a deep, long breath in, and slowly let that breath out. Now go inside and ask yourself the following question. What are some of the areas that you know you need to surrender? Surrender is a day-to-day learning experience in my life, and as I focus on shifting my mindset and approach, I'm slowly starting to realize that I don't actually have to do life all on my own. I'm surrounded by help. I am part of a loving community of friends and family. I am a valuable and loved child of God, and so are you. You are accepted and loved unconditionally by God who made you exactly as you are. You, your heart, your mind, your body, your spirit, your gender expression, your sexuality, and the way that you love are created perfectly in God's image. You are designed as an ultra-social being who is wired to connect and to be in community with others. You have been designed to be deeply known And you experience that knowing when you surrender and safely open yourself up with others and allow yourself to be seen. You are created on purpose and your purpose is to fully love yourself, connect deeply with others, and to share your love with the rest of the world. We need you. Thanks for listening to this little light of mine. To learn more about our guests today, And for links from our show, visit www.thislittlelightofmine.ca. If you enjoyed this episode or feel that it could bring love and acceptance into someone else's life, please like, rate, review, and share so that we can build our community and bring more love into the world for all people. Now go and let your light shine bright because you are loved.